everybody. Today I'm joined by Dan, who is an award-winning illustrator and writer. He's known for his works in Disney's animation, The Replacements, After the Four, Because I Am Your Mum, and Dad, a first for everything, and just recently, The Secret Society of Aunts and Uncles, to name but a few. So welcome, Dan, so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All the way out here in the United States and California. I have a lot of questions for you. My time is yours. <laughs> so my burning question for you is yes. that you have a degree in microbiology, but yes, but your career is being an illustrator. And I want to know how that came into play. What's the leap there? Yeah. So, you know, when I was a little kid, I always had this, uh, I always had this interest in art and I would draw all the time and I was an only child. Uh, my father was a doctor. My mother was a nurse. Uh, you know, they, they lived in Thailand uh, and then they immigrated to uh, the United States in 1968, uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and then we moved to Southern California when I was three and I was just like one of a handful of Asian kids in that town. You know, I think a lot of things that helped me assimilate into Western culture was pop culture, uh, cartoons, animation, movies, 1980s, like the 1980s was just filled with all kinds of crazy things. But my parents were so dedicated to me. They had they had aspirations for me to grow up to be a doctor that uh, they never let me take art classes or, or anything like that. And so... So they they were in this pursuit of me getting good grades, focusing on becoming a doctor. While on the side, uh, I would I would I would create art as a as a hobby. You know, it started with Marvel comics, and I would just copy pictures of Spider Man and the Hulk and X Men and things like that. Just really challenging myself, trying to improve over time. Uh, and then I go to, I go to a four year college. Uh, I get a degree in microbiology. I get accepted into dental school, and then. And then at the last minute, all my wonderful college roommates, they said, um, we think you're making a big mistake. We think maybe, maybe you're going to be miserable if you do this. And good friends. Yeah, they were fantastic. They said, just maybe you'd be more interested in doing something you actually love, like art. And they pushed me into just trying to apply to art schools just to see if I could get in, just to see if I was good enough to get in. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started you know, I went to, I went to college in San Diego. I started just driving all over the city trying to find figure drawing workshops and things like that. Mostly, like I said, up to that point, self-taught, never took a class in my life, put together a portfolio, applied to all these schools. Lo and behold, I get into all these art schools and then it just sinks in and becomes a reality thinking, oh, maybe this is a possibility. And not only that, just kind of looking at catalogs and realizing that there are people who have to design album covers and, you know, holiday cards and video games and things like that. And realizing, oh, it's not about being a starving artist in a gallery, you know, gluing junk together that, you know, you would typically see on TV, yeah. you know. Yeah. And when I was when I was when I was trying to convince my parents, you know, it was on my graduation day. And my parents, my father, especially like my father was, you know, he was so proud. He was like, oh, are you ready to go to dental school? And I said, I got into art school and I, before he could interrupt, before he could put his foot down, I kind of caught him off guard because he just stared at me. Just, I don't, I don't think he knew what to say, but I, I didn't want him to interject and say no. And so I just said, I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. And, you know, he took a moment and paused and he said, well, you know, I ultimately just want you to be happy. And then, you know, I went to art school and that was the first time I, I, you know, I ever took any formal art training. Thought I wanted to be an animator. Took a computer animation course, absolutely hated it. Right, okay. Because it took, what, like 14 weeks just to make one minute. Yeah. yeah, and I said, there has to be a better way to tell stories. And there was a children's book illustration class. I took that, fell in love uh, and then the rest is history. You know, I, I got my first book deal. I got a first two book deal a year out of art school. Uh, I went to a children's book conference and uh, met this wonderful editor by the name of Arthur Levine. And for those of you who are not familiar, Arthur Levine is the editor of Harry Potter. And so. Trying to contain my little smile yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been here for 20 years. What is it to you that essentially you love about kids' books? Like, 
it's such an interesting space, I think, and especially now it's really evolved since, like, I was little, like in the 80s, looking at the books that I had right. available. You know, I think I think mainly it's, and this might sound cynical, but, you know, there is something about the innocence of a younger audience that doesn't have their guard up, doesn't, you know, make preconceived judgments about about things. I, you know, you go through life, you go through adolescence, and you can come out pretty cynical. And so if you're writing something, it's like, oh, okay, well, there's this, you know? Yeah. Whereas kids, they they look at everything with fresh new eyes and they're so excited about ev- everything. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'll go, I'll go to a school visit. I'll talk about my my dogs and then they'll just lose their minds. Like, yeah. well, you, you, you present that to, you know, these eyes that are just, you know, up for anything. And then, you know, you, you get this opportunity to, to draw anything you want. You want to draw dragons, you want to draw robots, you want to draw cute animals or whatever, but then tell it in a story that really, uh, my initial my initial gravitation into children's publishing was that I didn't feel like I was a very good writer. And so picture books typically are 1500 words or less, 32 pages. You rely heavily on illustrations. I thought, okay, you know, I could, I think I can manage this. And then as time goes on, you work with other authors, you learn, uh, you strengthen your sense of storytelling, uh, and then you age up your work. You're doing graphic novels, middle grade, things like that. And, you know, here I am 20 years in this business. And I think I came to the realization that I, I actually think I'm more suited as a storyteller who just happens to be able to draw, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I and think so my true passion is storytelling. Because I'm a writer. I often find it hard to storyboard. Like I think it would just be such an additional skill if I could draw, but I don't think I'm very good at it. But do you think you can teach yourself to draw or do you have to just have this raw talent? I think there's this misconception that that you can't be taught to draw well. You know, I've seen people, I've yeah. seen people who have been ambitious and like they're dedicated to trying to draw and, and you will see vast improvements in a year. Wow, okay. Um, yeah. And so it, it really isn't about, it's really about a way of seeing, you know, looking, looking at things, breaking them down and then, and then adding the details on top of that. Cause I think what most people do is they'll see a complex object and, and then, and then they're just completely frozen. They don't know where to start. That's always the part. Even, even growing up, I think there's a point where in every kid's life, they just, they just stop. And I want to say that, I want to say that happens you know, I'm trying to think in terms of Australian terms, like year three or year four, where they just say, you know what, I'm not cut out to be an artist. And then they just stop. They just never draw ever again. You're absolutely right. And that ability to play and have fun, like that inner child element, it does kind of dwindle. It kind of sucks. That's, that's what I mean about the cynicism of adults. Like sometimes, you know, maybe they're just so bothered or hurt by a particular thing that they just completely exercise it from their lives. And I don't want any part of it. But there must be an element of play still with your job. I mean, but that's I- the other thing about being a children's author. You know, I get to I get to work from home. I get to travel and speak with kids at schools. Like, yeah, it doesn't even it doesn't even feel like a job. It feels yes. like I would do this anyway. So I guess I have a question too now about technology obviously advancing at the rapid rate that it is. So yeah. what do you use to draw? And then like what things do you like? What could you recommend to people that are sort of wanting to play around with tools? Like do you have any recommendations on that? Sure, sure. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm classically trained, went to art school, studied, you know, oil painting, acrylics, watercolor, a traditional drawing, uh, you know, pencil on, pencil on paper, ink and, and things like that. Then you translate it to something like, you know, um, a computer. I use a, I use a, I use an iMac. I work on Adobe Photoshop, which is an industry standard for a lot of people for a number of years. Um, but that can get really costly. I also use, um, I use a Wacom tablet or, or more precisely what's known as a Cintiq, which basically is a monitor that you can draw on. You get this digital pen and on one side, you know, you can draw the other side, you can race. It, it's, it's really just a, a, you know, an electric canvas that you can work on with electric paintbrushes. As the years have gone on, actually, I've seen more and more of the younger uh, new up and coming artists, you know, they're, they're perfectly fine, you know, and they resort to, uh, you know, a simple iPad, like an iPad pro, like a 13 inch iPad pro using this, program called procreate I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of people using procreate a, a lot and and what's great about procreate is that you know it's a 13 program 
I've seen, you know, it's at a point now where I'm seeing other authors and illustrators, they're, they're generating entire books just using Procreate, which is, you know, fantastic. So, you know, I've been in this business, as I said, for, for 20 years. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're doing a lot of books, I've done over, gosh, I've done over 120 in in the time that I've just a few. (laughs) Yeah. I've done over 120 that I've been in this business. And the thing is that if you keep doing the same book the same way, it gets boring, really. So I will revert back to old methods. I'll go back to, you know, pencil, paper, acrylic, um, you know, and and it's a different way of thinking because uh, if you're on a computer, you know, you can, you can undo the history. You can go back 30, 40 Mm. stages and uh, just undo like whatever you did. Whereas if you're, if you're doing it traditionally, it's almost like a chess game and you have to think 10 steps ahead and say, well, yeah, let's see how this goes. You know, hopefully I don't screw things up, but you know, some people, they, they love finding the mistakes and then they uncover, you know, new things about the work from that technique, but I'm always changing things up. Like right now I'm working on a book with uh, another author. It's about the stigma of left-handedness over history. And so I am actually using my hand uh, as a puppet, you know, wearing a sweater, has some eyeballs, and it's having a conversation with my right hand uh, about the history of left-handedness. Like you know. a sock I'm puppet? Always, yeah, yeah. Always <laughs> trying something new. Oh, my God. I do, I love sock puppets. They, I actually really yeah. love puppets. And when I was in Brooklyn, I went to a sock puppetry making class. It was the best thing. Okay. <laughs> That's also the most Brooklyn thing I've ever heard. I'm sure they serve you, like, artisanal goat milk. <laughs> And I was totally yeah. sucked in being a tourist. Of course I was. Yes. <laughs> so, you, are, I, you are hipster heaven right there. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a big fan of puppets, like Sooty, Sweep and Sue, that little British puppet show. I went to the Museum of Moving Image in Queens and the Muppet exhibition. I just love them. Oh, you know, I grew up on Muppet Show and, and things like that. So, And I'm kind of just shocked. You know, you're watching these new rehashes of the Muppets and things like that. And yes. it's just not... I don't know. I, I, you know, I see kids that like kids just don't care. And I'm like, what, what, what's that? What don't you like these guys? Oh my God. Ooh, anyway, we digress with Muppets. We're back to technology. So yes, you don't have to spend a lot of money to make the jump to digital. And just to be clear, I mean, the reason why I went, you know, digitally is because I'm juggling lots of projects. It's easier for me. I can get a lot of work done and not compromise on quality. But, but if given the choice, yeah. if I only had to do one book a year, you know, most likely I would probably do a hybrid of maybe 80% digital, I mean, 80% yeah. traditional, 20%, uh, you know, digital, you know, right now, gosh, I'm working on, I'm working on five, six projects yeah. right now. So Not a bad day. problem to have though, is it? Not a bad problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think a question, I mean, and this applies, I think across the whole arts industry, but I'm going to keep it specific to illustrating. From what I've heard, a lot of my friends who are in art, I feel like they really struggle with imitating or appropriating somebody else's style so how how do you kind of cement your own style because I mean I when I was at university we learned this concept I think it's called simulacra and it's like everything is a copy of a copy of a copy like there's no original I was like well I think we all draw inspiration from everything I know from writing that I will look at scripts of writers that I absolutely love to just get an idea, but you're not copying it per se. So how do you make it your own? You know, it's a fantastic story because um, when I was in art school, gosh, I was probably halfway through my education and I was really eager to just have a professional assess where I was at that point in, you know, so that I, I knew what to focus on in the second half of my education. And, you know, there's a wonderful artist, um, author out here. His name's David Shannon. And uh, he was a big influence on my work. Uh, I don't know if you remember that old movie Rango with uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he was one of the co-writers. Like he came oh, up with the really? whole idea. That's yeah, David Shannon, and he was known as this. You know, he was a children's book author, and he won he won this lovely award for this book called No David. Um, and he was you know he was a he was a alumni of our school, the Art Center College of Design. And my teacher in the children's book class, she said, you should have your work looked at by David Shannon. I'm sure he would give you some fantastic feedback. And I said, okay, you know, I'll I'll do that. And I called up David and he said, come down to my, come down to my home. I'll be happy to look at your portfolio. 
And I went down with my, oh, it was a big giant portfolio with all my original paintings. And I, I, and I went there and I laid it out on the table and he looked at all the pieces and literally maybe 45 seconds in, he looks at it and says, you need to start all over again. And I remember just being devastated. Like, what, what do you mean? Like I worked so hard on these. And he said, he said, look, I mean, I, I, I appreciate the technique. I appreciate I appreciate what you're doing here, but, but there's a part of you that appears to be heavily influenced by me. And and the problem with that is that children's publishing is not a big business. And if they want to hire David Shannon, they can just call me. And, and it's probably best if you find your own voice. And so, you know, I took that to heart and, you know, finished the rest of the school year trying to find a style. And, and the problem about trying to find a style Mm. is that it's like shaking, you know, it's like chasing your own shadow, you know, and the harder you're trying to catch it, the it, it's just impossible. You know, you're never going to achieve it if you're actively trying, because what you're yeah. trying to do subconsciously is say, what can I, what can I do that will sell? Right. And that seems to always be a problem because money can always tend to get in the way of our, of our, of our own ambitions or, you know, yeah. um, so out of art school, the first the first thing I did, I got a job at a, at a video game company. I worked at Activision. I was working on like Spider Man and you yeah. know Call of Duty. I worked on the very first Call of Duty. Oh, That's how old I am. So I'm playing that. Baldur's Gate three at the moment. I fucking love. It. Anyway, okay, yeah. everybody's playing Baldur's <laughs> Gate three right now. That like, I'm surprised I was playing Starfield, but I'm working in the game industry, and 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 money is no longer a concern. It's just you know I'm paying the bills. Uh, you know I'm I'm, I'm saving some money for myself. And then, you know, I'm doing children's publishing after hours, you know, like when I get home. And I remember just throwing out my whole portfolio and saying, okay, you know, I remember just tearing down all the influences I had on all these people that I admired, just blank canvas everywhere. And then I said, I'm not going to stop painting. I remember I had a blank canvas and I said, I'm not going to start painting whatever it's going to be until I'm proud to hang it on my wall. You know, that first painting took about 12, 14 days. Right. And then I had my first piece, but I just kind of relied on my own senses and said, oh, I guess this is how I draw dogs. Oh, I guess this is how I draw people. You know, you just yeah. kind of relying on your own instinct. And then the second piece, you know, takes a little bit less time. It's, you know, 10 days. The third piece takes eight days, fourth, fifth, sixth piece. By the time I'm like, you know, on my seventh or eighth piece, I'm making pieces in like two, two days, almost a day. And then you have a brand new portfolio about, you know, eight to 10 weeks later. Right. And, and, you know, in, in the pursuit of a style, I, my, my best advice is to not try so hard because it's going to be um, harder for you to attain. If you're sitting there actively saying, what do I need to do to stand out? Uh, and, and it's kind of corny because it, it sounds very like Zen in, in a way, but you just have to be comfortable in the way you do things. But then couple that with, couple that with, um, you know, maybe a good, good knowledge of graphic design, knowing your proportions, color theory, space, uh, negative space, composition, uh, things like that. You know, you take, you take the styles that you have and then, and then you integrate that with the rules of good design and then, and then you've got your style. So I want to add another thing about that uh, because it, there's nothing wrong with like looking at imitating yeah. certain. There's nothing wrong with imitating certain aspects of someone's art. If you if you completely you know copy someone's entire style, then you know you're you're basically lifting someone else's technique. Yeah. But uh, you know I think the term the term that my teachers like to use is appropriation. You know you're appropriating yeah. certain elements of certain things. So, you know, you have a wide range of of influences. And so maybe on one hand, oh, I like the way I like the way this artist draws eyes. I like the way this artist draws noses, graphic or or maybe well rendered, things like that. And, and then you have an amalgam of different styles and that ends up becoming your style. You know, you're not copying one particular person. You're just yeah. borrowing elements of people yeah. that you've experienced. What I really love about your illustrations is because I'm all about character. Like I think that's just like for me, especially in story, I don't care about so much the setting or the world they're in. I'm like, who is this character? And I really, really love how you capture it. 
like, I don't know, there's something, I feel like they're really sweet, but I feel like they're really curious at the same time. So how do you go about creating your characters? Is it based on the brief? Is it based on your conversations and intuition? Like, because I think capturing a personality is really clever. So I'd love to know how you do that. In my personal work, um, a lot of my characters derive from influences uh, of members of my family. You know, oh. I think, I think, I think as I do work, I, I always rely, I always rely on a muse of sorts. Yeah. And so uh, the book that I'm best recognized for is this book called The Adventures of Beagle, the Unimaginary Friend. Uh, and the premise of that is there's an island where imaginary friends already exist, right? But they're, they're on the island and they wait, they wait for a child to imagine them, you know? And so I've got this, I've got this little white, you know, formless character, just, you know, just really spongy. He's got a little paper crown on his head and he's been waiting for, he's been waiting for some kid to imagine him for, for years. Right. And it just never, it never happens. And so the anxiety of, of maybe not meeting somebody really gets to him. And so he builds a boat and he leaves the Island to find the child to be his friend. Right. So the character really inhabits um, two things. One, of, so the character's name is Beagle, and Beagle. Well, the book is is at, it's a metaphor about the day my son was born and the anxieties that I had as a first time father of these expectations of what it was going to be like as a father for the first time. So, you know, you're wondering. Gosh, am I going to be a good father? Am I going to get along with this kid when when the years go by? Um, you know, am I going to screw things up? Uh, and you and you put part of your personality and and the personality of your son into that story because I I wrote this story when he was just entering his first years of school, and so you know you 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 put in the insecurities that he has about making you know making friends for the first time. And then you incorporate, you know, the anxieties you have about being a parent, making sure you're not making any mistakes and that you're doing everything perfectly. And so when you have a story about an imaginary friend waiting to be imagined by somebody, but then you meet for the first time, it's it's the whole idea of, of meeting a person for the first time and then realizing that you're perfect together. And and so that's people. Um, another book that, that I'm really proud of is it's called After the Fall. And yeah. uh, that book is actually a love letter to my wife. My wife has lived most of her life battling anxiety and, and depression. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it runs inherently in her family. And, uh, you know, there was a point where she sought help and then, and then it, it, you know, it really just took a hold of her life. And, and then she sought help, she got medicated. And then, you know, she just became a completely different person, you know, once she got those things figured out. Yeah. And so after the fall is about Humpty Dumpty, you know, supposedly getting put back together and the scars that are that are left inside the fear of heights and the fear of, you know, getting hurt again. And so he has this he has this aversion to heights. So he won't he won't climb up ladders. He won't go into, you know, he won't sleep in his bunk bed and things like that. And then, you know, there comes a point where. You know, you learn that, you know, the reason why he was on top of the wall was because, you know, he he was an avid bird watcher. He loved birds. Right. And then as time goes on after the fall, you know, he. He's watching the birds, but he's watching it from the ground, which isn't the same. And then he he gets into the hobby of making paper airplanes, you know, and then the paper airplane gets yeah. he throws a paper airplane ends up back on the wall and and he he makes a decision that he doesn't want this wall to be this thing that's looming over him and so he decides to get his paper airplane up from the wall and he realizes that he's overcome this fear and then he hatches and he turns into a bird he becomes something greater right after after you know defeating his anxiety and so that was that was a love letter to my wife about, you know, the struggles that she had with anxiety and, and, and overcoming that. And so for me, that's I think that's my I think personally, that's my favorite. It's amazing because so many people reached out to me about about anxiety. And isn't that just why art is so important? Because it really can address 
in various expressions, all those things. And I think everyone's so different. We all need different things. So it really is great. But anxiety is, is so prevalent. I mean, I, I have a little bit of this. I guess it's a little bit of a Hollywood story. I So I had a I had a cartoon show on Disney Channel called The Replacements. I was invited to this beautiful rooftop party held by Disney, you know, and we're on we're in the we're on the rooftop and you know I'm, I'm hanging out with uh, a couple friends that I that I brought with me to the party. Do you remember that old? I don't know if you had this in 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 Australia, but did you ever did you have Heroes? Was Heroes a show? Yeah. Okay. So I remember we're on the rooftop and then the cast of Heroes came in. Everybody yeah. was like, "Oh my gosh, it's cast!" And by that time, they were the hottest shit on on TV. Yeah. Like everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's the cast of Heroes!" And then <laughs> yeah. right behind him, right behind him is just it's just Stan Lee. Stan Lee comes in. You know, and he's just, he's like, he's like, hey, everybody. And it's funny because like it, the roof was just filled with, you know, like and corporate types that are just, they're just dressed in really nice shirts and everything. Dan Lee's coming <laughs> in with some docker, like docker pants and stuff like that. And he sees me. I'm also just, I'm just wearing like, you know, I'm wearing like an X-Men t-shirt and like some cargo shorts and a Amazing. I just sit on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And he looks at me and he looks at me and he's just like, well, you look like the comic loving type, right? And he comes up and he like, starts, he starts chatting with me. And I was having a real career crisis at that point. I mean, not, not in terms of the success that I had, but what my aspirations were, you know, I had this cartoon show, but I really hated working with executives, working at a video game company, but I really didn't love making video games. And then I had this third option of children's publishing. And I didn't, I didn't have the courage to pursue it full time because, you know, I had this, I had this worry that, you know, like the money would just dry up. I just couldn't yeah. rely on my own ability. So I was just holding on to all these jobs and really wearing myself thin and I was just talking to him. I said, you know, I've got this new family. Um, I, I've got I've got all these offers to do other things, but my true passion is is telling stories. And my concern is that you know I'm going to fail. And and you know I feel like there's a duty that I should have for my family as a father, as a parent, as a husband to provide. You yeah, know, and that and pressure. I don't, know if, I don't know if doing that is you know, just pursuing children's publishing full-time is selfish or, or, or what? And he says to me, he says, you know what? When I started Marvel Comics, like, I had no idea. I just did it because I thought it was fun. And he said, my advice to you is do what you love and your audience will find you, you know? And if you stick with it, that audience will grow and you'll be okay, you know? And, and, and I relied on his advice. I, I left the game company. I left Disney and you know, and that was, you know, it's, it's, he was the one that gave me the courage to just to do it. Do so, what, children's so I just want to tap into that a little bit. So well, that's a great story. People who are listening <laughs> are like, ah! um, there's a great ta- picture on Google, I think for a while. Oh like, my God, let's Google, find it. Yeah. If oh. you had a, if there was a, there was like, if you had done a search for arm around friend, the yeah. first picture that came up was a picture of Stanley with oh, his arms. Oh, really? Like, it yeah. was really? It was really cool. Yeah. Yes. Let's not dismiss the coolness of that moment. <laughs> right, right. I just kind of want to tap into that a little bit. So at those critical points where you were like, you know, leaving those jobs, did you have an, like mass anxiety to take that oh, leap? Just... Or, were you, or were you so happy to just be like, I'm out of here? So, no, yeah. absolutely. No. So, oh my gosh. I didn't leave the game company because I was afraid that the cartoon show wasn't going to last beyond a season, right? And I thought, well, if I focused all my energy on 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 this cartoon show and it like ends after a season, like where am I? I'm going to be stuck with nothing, right? So I was splitting my time. I was working at a game company, and then I would I would go to Disney at night. So I work I worked at the game company from. 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then I work at Disney from 7 p.m. to midnight, like when everybody Ooh. had already went. And then yeah. from midnight to three in the morning, I would work on books. And then from Ooh. three in the morning to 9 a.m., I would I would sleep. Then my first son was born, you know, and then and then your sleep gets broke up several times at night, right? And I remember there was one time I I I kind of dozed off on the freeway and I didn't I didn't crash. I was, I, you know, we're in LA, we're always we're just consumed by traffic, probably coasted in my car for a good oh, oh boy I want to say 300 yards maybe and I I missed my exit and I realized like oh I can't I can't go on like this I'm gonna kill myself you know I think the first step was at the game company where they were doing rounds of layoffs so like we had just shipped Spider-Man 3 
and then we were doing rounds of layoffs and then and then my <laughs> friend was yeah that's and so stressful I was missing a lot of I was missing a lot of work because I was going off to Disney I didn't tell anybody at the game company that I had a show because yeah. I was afraid that I, they would fire me because I was doing other stuff and so my friend was made art director and there was going to be a fourth round of layoffs and they kept me they kept me they kept promoting me and then there was going to be a fourth round of layoffs and my friend he says you know, Dan, let's go for a walk, you know, and, and and he put it very nicely. He said, look, it's not that we want you to go, but just wondering if you'd be considered, if you'd consider the option of being laid off because there are other people who could use this job. Yeah. Who and, really probably want it. Yeah. Right. And, and the other, and the other thing more importantly was we feel like we're holding you back from something greater. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you have to lay me off because I don't have the courage to quit. So that, I mean, you want to talk about anxiety. I didn't have the courage to quit. Yeah. And they laid me off. I got three, I got three months severance. It was glorious. And then when <laughs> I was leaving, I was making the rounds, saying goodbye to everybody. And, and this is like, you know, it sounds, it sounds bad, but like, you know, in the context, I was very, it was very flattering. You know, they said, you know, we hope you never have to come back ever again. We hope you never come back. And that really, was that was like yeah. their yeah that was their encouragement for me to succeed. And then I went to Disney, and as I said before, I didn't really like working with execs. And I, I mean, who does? <laughs> I left the sh- I left the show. I left yeah. the show once I realized that it was getting picked up for a second and third season. And I said, "Look, you can do whatever you want with the show. I'm just going to collect the checks, but I'm going to go work on books because." Yeah in its purest form it's storytelling but i don't have to deal with a room full of executives mm. it's just me editor art director i was i was left in a spot where i had one project on my lap uh and a graphic novel that was coming out and i poured my soul into that one project i said you know what i'm going to put so much effort into this book that i want every editor and every art director in the business to know who i am after i'm done with this right and mm-hmm. then it went on to win a silver medal uh yeah. at the society of illustrators and then the phone rang off the hook and I didn't have to worry about illustration. That's so good. Again, right? It's such a great I mean, story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets it gets a little bit more complicated because then, like, after I had left the game company and after I had left, uh, you know, Disney, I, I got this mysterious email from uh, this person who works in HR at Google. Oh. And they said, <laughs> and, 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 it, and I can't kid you not, the email basically said, like, we've been watching you. We think you're a good fit for the doodle team. How would you like to come up for an interview? And I said, there was a thing, there's a thought in my head that said, I don't think I'd be interested in it, but maybe why not? Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to try to get the job, but then have the opportunity to say no to you. Right. Yeah. So I went up there. It was an eight hour interview. Eight hour. Yeah. 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 Cause they wanted you to meet everybody in the doodle team. There was like, I think there was like five or six doodlers that, that, that would draw Google. Uh, I met with uh, someone at YouTube. I met the Android, someone in Android. And what it turned out was that they wanted me to be their creative director. I had experience in video games. I had experience in animation. Yeah. And so as you can see now, like the doodles every day, they integrate, you know, interactivity and animation. And a lot of their doodle artists were fresh out of school that just knew how to draw, uh, but right. they, they didn't have all those other elements, you know, to, to work into it. And so, um, yeah, they were going to hire me as a creative director. And then, and then again, there's this, there's this, there's this question that's posed in my head. Like, should I, should I do the responsible parent thing or, or husband thing of taking this, you know, this job that, that pays exorbitantly well, or, or do I want to pursue you know, children's publishing. And, and I don't know, in a way, like I said, felt very selfish. In the end, I told Google no. And they, and they, they kind of like, you know, I remember I was, I was talking to the person on HR, like, oh, that's interesting. Is it a matter of money? And I remember just thinking to myself, there, there probably is a number that I, I could be bought. Mm-hmm. And so I said, let's just say that uh, my my final answer is no, because my concern is that there is a number that I can be bought at, and I don't want to hear that number. And and my wife and my wife was wonderful about it the whole time, because she said, because she had family that lived up in San Francisco, and and you know she would love nothing more to live closer to her family. And she yeah. said, look, 
I can't make this decision for you because if you hate this job, I'll never forgive myself. Yeah. Or see, I still have it right here in this folder. I told myself I was going to keep this. And I told myself that I never want to regret turning down this job. Wow, I just got goosebumps and now I want to cry. Yeah. That's an amazing Because we got this big fat envelope in the mail. Oh, and my yeah. wife and I said, let's not let's not entertain this option unless it's a number that we have in our heads, right? Probably. We opened it up and it was like, it was far beyond what our expectations were. And I said, oh gosh, well, I guess we have to start looking for a home up there, right? And, and mm-hmm. we go up there. And I remember just, just not being happy. Like, oh gosh, why don't I want this, you know? Yeah, if it's and, not right. And it's stupid. It, it's kind of stupid. It's like, why did I, why did I open that can of worms if I didn't even want it in the first place, right? So I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I feel like uh, a lot of people who are sort of in that mid-tier level, let's say, of their creative career, especially yeah. in in, yeah. in writing, who are having to deal with executives, dealing with people who perhaps stifle your creativity and kind of how to balance that. Because I feel like you've really navigated that really well just from listening to your stories. Right. I have a couple of things to say. So the first thing is, you know, one of the biggest fears about freelancing is that you don't know where your next check is going to come from, right? That's the most terrifying thing. And so you work at a nine to five job where your bosses or whoever corporate is keeping an eye on you, the, mm-hmm. the thing that they have in their pockets to control you is they dangle your job over your head. All the you time. Say, yeah. If you don't do this, we can always find someone else who will. And so as a result, you're always on pins and needles. Like I could lose this job if I don't do everything they say. Right. It's so fear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the crazy part was that once I started freelancing and I told myself, if I just work hard, if I put as much of my heart into my own work and, and promoting myself, I'm going to somehow miraculously continue landing on my feet. Right. And I just, and I just kind of, I repeated that mantra, just keep working hard, just keep working hard. And, and I managed to make it work. And, and as a result, as a result, it, it's really, I never thought I'd be so, I never thought I'd have this feeling of security. Like there's nothing better than not having someone dangle your job over your head. Yeah. You know, you do your own work. And this goes back to this goes back to this story I have about being in art school. So I had this great teacher. His name was David Luce. Um, you know that old classic RoboCop poster where RoboCop's <laughs> getting out of the car. Yes. You think it's a photo, right? You think it's a photo? Yeah, yeah. It's a painting. It's a painting. Isn't it really? Oh, look at it's it. It's a painting. And David Luce, my teacher, he was the man who painted that poster. Yeah. That is wild. He also did the backdraft. I don't know if you're familiar with that Ron Howard film. Draft. I yeah, yes. He's oh, my God. Silhouette. He's the fireman. He's the fireman in the suit. Like, he used to make movie posters for a living. Sorry, know? I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so I'm in an art class. I'm in an art class, and David Luce, you know, he says, I'm going to point at every student in this room, and when I point at you, I want you to tell me what you want to do with this art degree that you're going to earn. And he points at someone. Someone says, uh, "Character designer, background artist, storyboard artist, uh, you know, uh, background painter, map painter, art director." And then, and then, at the end of it, he says, "I find it fascinating that everybody here is spending all this money for one of the best art educations in the world, mm-hmm. and you want to do it in the name of someone else's company. You want to do it for a company, right? Like." Mm-hmm. You want to go work for a place and the best you're going to get for it is maybe seeing your name among thousands of little other names at the end of the movie credits. Like that's yeah. what you, you want to spend, you know, you're going to have this amazing education and all you want to do is, is paint backgrounds. And he said, if you're going to put all that effort and all that love into a company and building the glory of that company, why not consider taking all those efforts and putting it into yourself and building a name for yourself? And that was a thing that I thought about really hard. I said, you know, and it and it is definitely one of those paths less traveled because it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying to have to rely on your own abilities, right? Yeah. Yep. From what I have from what I have experienced from most of the people that I know, or at least the ones who've gone the path of freelancing and and, and their own ambitions, is that if you really want it, you're going to find a way to make it work. It's, I know it's, I know it's terrifying. And I think I came to that realization 
you know, gosh, I graduated in 2001. I left the replacements in my game company around 2007. Yeah. So I, I figured it out pretty early on to each his own. But for me, you know, it was invaluable to take all the advice that you heard from all these people and then just, just pour your heart and soul into yourself and, and mm-hmm. just hope for the best. And look, I mean, I say this and, you know, your listeners are probably listening to this and, and I can't guarantee success for everybody, but, yeah. but if it does, if it does work out, then, you know, I always think of the saying, you know, and I don't know where it comes from specifically, but that whole, if you don't back yourself, no one else is really going to. What about teaching and mentoring? Is that something that you'd be interested in? I've, I've, I've guest lectured. I've guest lectured at schools. Yes. There is something I love about teaching, about, about, you know, educating, you know, the next generation of talent. Yeah. The thing that I, and here's the thing, and, and it's, it's, I can be, I can be, I can get easily frustrated because I can see the potential. Let, let me go back a step. So there was a, there was an artist that came to our school. He, he did a guest lecture. Uh, it was this great artist. His name by the, the name of Gary Baseman. He was a very successful gallery painter, uh, editorial artist. He had a couple, he had a cartoon show and everything called Teacher's Pet. He came and he came and he spoke in front of the entire school. And he said straight off the bat, you know, 90% of you are not going to be art, doing art for a living. And of the remaining 10% of you, only maybe, you know, three out of every 10 is going to be able to do this as a sole profession. And then of those three of you, one of you is going to be kicking ass in it. I remember every kid in the room was just so offended by what he said. He said, how dare you? You know, like, fuck yeah. you. Like, we're in the best. We're the our best art school in this country. Yeah. And you're telling us that we're not good enough. And it's like, you know what? Yeah. You know, like, I, you know, you're full of shit, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, well, I've seen the work. I've seen people out there in the business. I keep seeing the same names, but like, I can only imagine how many art schools in this world. And I can only imagine, you know, how many art director jobs are out there, how many covers for Rolling Stone there are there to be. And it's like, I don't think he's wrong. And And I said, you know what? everybody else in this room is going to be offended, but, but I'm going to take that advice and I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm at least in that 10%. Right. Yeah. So it motivated so, you the opposite way. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I worked my, I worked my ass off, you know, and, yeah. and especially from someone who didn't ever have any like formal art training to begin with, I already felt like I was already behind the curve. Right. Sure. So I was just busting my hump and, you know, probably working harder than anybody else in that school. And by the time, by the time I graduated and I, and I observed that like where everybody was, you know what? Gary was right. Gary was yeah. dead on with those numbers. It was just like, Oh God, what's so-and-so doing? Oh, he's not even, he's like, he's like a fitness trainer now. Like there's, yeah. he was dead on with those statistics. The motivators I had was just this terrible insecurity that I have in my own abilities. Right. You know, yeah. it was, I never, I never thought that I was talented. And so I always tried to make up with it with just raw hard work and I mean I think there's some truth to that like I think I put in you know I think I think a big part of my success is just 85 percent hard work and you know 15 percent talent you know because yeah. I've seen some people who are immensely talented but they had they have no aspirations to promote themselves or like go get that gallery show or or, or whatever you know yeah. and it's it varies you have to have both and you have to you know, you have to, you have to kick and tread that water until you Mm. make it work. And so that was, that was, so when you, when you ask me about teaching and I go back and I talk to these students, I see that 90% who, who thinks that, you know, like they're going to be some hot rock star without having to put in the effort because they got into this really fancy art school as someone who can see potential. And then you see it being squandered because that person doesn't have the drive. The frustrating part is that for most of the students that I've seen in art schools, for the most of the students I've seen, the thing that breaks my heart is that I want success for them more than they want it for themselves. And that is the harsh truth about why I am not a teacher. Like I think of, you know, that, gosh, I hate to say this, you know, remember that, you know, that movie Whiplash? Yes, you're really bringing out some good movies today. (laughs) I kind of feel like I'm kind of feel like, like just a couple, a couple membranes of skin away. I'm that teacher. I'm that awful guy. That's like, 
I'm trying to find greatness. Get the fuck out of my way. Like I'm that yeah. guy that's like, you're wasting my time. You're wasting yeah. everybody's time because you don't want it enough. And I, yeah. and I, I, that's a very toxic kind of, yeah. of thing, but you know, it's like really my biggest frustration is that I see so many people who just don't want, they yeah. don't want it. I, don't yeah. know. I mean, that's, that's just how I see it. Yeah. So would I be a teacher? I, I have taught. Uh, but only at a guest lecture kind of. I think it would energetically be very draining, like you said, because if you care that much and you do, it, it would be very hard to keep saying that over and over Right, again. right. You know, and, then, and that's the thing, because I have lots of friends who are teachers and they say, yeah, you just find that one kid and it probably comes once a year and then yeah. you spot, you just, fingers yeah. crossed that they, that they do something great, right? Yeah. For anyone listening who is a fan of Dan, he has a fantastic blog and me being a little bit voyeuristic, I love getting those glimpses into someone's life. And I've said it before, I really care about character and their essence and their soul. And there's a line that really kind of stuck out to me. And I hope you could elaborate on it for me, maybe in a different way than you do in your blog. But you're talking about being at industry events and panels and you say, you know, suddenly you're the old guy in the room. So what do you think about getting older and new talent coming up and not threatening, but just their presence. What do you think of all that? I think it's an inevitability that, you know, at one point your voice just isn't going to resonate with the younger generation, you know, like, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. It, it's like, for example, I remember drawing a book and I was drawing a TV set, like with an old cathode tube, right? Yeah. Just, it's just like, okay, well, no kid is going to see no. this and recognize what it is. So, yeah. so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's, it's that, and, and I think this is healthy in, in many respects, is that the last thing you want to hear yourself say is, oh, I missed the good old days. Or, I, I, oh, it was better back yes. when blah, 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 you know, because because yeah. then that means because that means then you stop growing, you know, and 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 you've have you said you've said, you know what, I've changed quite a bit, but I don't get rap music these days. And I think rap music's dumb now because I like the old stuff. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's where you stop. That's where you stop growing as a person. Now, here's the thing. The world is just constantly changing, constantly yeah. growing. If you're not open to that change, yeah. you may not like the change. Sure. But if, if it's know. a world that other <laughs> people, it's their normal and they appreciate it, it's worthwhile for you to try to understand why they appreciate that. I mean, just, the last thing you want to do is look back. It's like I said, and I hate going, I hate using this reference again, but you know, you're thinking about, you're thinking about like that that jock in school that was like, oh, I missed the good old days when I was the star of the, you know, the soccer team and the football yeah. team and things like that. And it's like, that person's looking at the past. They're not looking into the future, yeah. you know? And the thing that drives us as human beings is optimism. Like if you have nothing to look for in the future, then like your life is miserable. The brutal truth about life in this world is that it's always changing and it doesn't care if you don't change with exactly. it. Exactly. It does not care. As a creative in many ways, like, I'm not saying it's your duty to to keep up with it. You don't have to if you don't want to. But if you write something and it sounds like it came from the 1980s, yeah. it's not going to be relevant to anybody anymore. No. So you have to you have to grow with the world. And you know, I hope that if you are someone who does, that you do it with optimism and 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 yeah. you know, just this this bewilderment and delight that most kids have of just yeah. like, ooh, what's this? All right, let's get into have so many questions. So the secret society of aunts and uncles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Now, where do we begin with this? I'm just going to say it. He'll probably never yeah. listen to us. I'm not going to lie. Love Jake Gyllenhaal. I write. Yeah, who so, doesn't? Yeah, right. So exactly. So I was like, oh my gosh, you're a nocturnal animal. Like all the stuff he's done. Sunday in the Park with George. Big fan. When yeah. I heard he was writing a book, I did raise an eyebrow. I did go. Yeah not dismissing creative talent whatsoever. It kind of just seemed a bit of an odd pairing to me. And then I read more about it with his collaboration with Greta Caruso and I was like, this is actually yeah. creating a space and got yeah. me thinking that I can't recall a book when I was young that ever addressed my aunties and uncles. Right. What I love about this book and your illustrations too is that it's created this space, like we just spoke about the world evolving. Yeah. It's kind of not enough anymore for kids just to have that link just to their direct family. We talk about spaces and safety and being able, the world's very different now, you know, from when I was playing mud pies in the backyard and you know, walking barefoot around Australia and the beach. But 
it's a little bit different now. And I think this book has really created a beautiful space for children to think about who else they can talk to and who else they can confide in and have fun with that isn't a direct family member. I And I just, right. I think it's really opened up the market in a way for that. So that's, that's that. I really hope Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't hear that anyway. but Oh no, I think he'd be absolutely flattered by that. Cause that's, that's one of the points that he leaned on, you know, saying that there weren't books about aunts and uncles. And I remember yeah. thinking about it and, and looking and realizing, Oh, he's absolutely right. No one writes and, about, they write yeah. about grandparents. They write about parents. And, and not all of us have good relationships with our parents and even people who do, it's always strained, you know, it, it can't always be good. So knowing that there are other people was just something I didn't even think about when I was little. I also really enjoy the fact that this book is for adults. Like for someone like me, I don't have kids and I'm also not a biological auntie, but that doesn't mean that I can't be one because I take my honorary auntie duties very seriously. And it's a great conversation starter for families with their kids to be like, hey, it doesn't have to look a certain way. And that, you know, a trusted family friend can actually also be family. I mean, you kind of learn that, you know, your family is kind of who you choose, not necessarily your blood. So that's my little rant about it. (laughs) What I wanted to ask from this, though, from your point of view is a lot of writers probably don't. Like, I I wouldn't know how to collaborate with an illustrator, for example, to be like, I've got this great book or storybook or whatever. So my first question is, how how would you go about pairing yourself up with, like, someone to collaborate? Then what does that look like? Especially when it's, you know, they're pretty high-profile celebs, you know what I mean? And then it's like, how much pull do you have? Like, I just want to talk about that collaboration. Okay, so so here's the thing about about publishing in general that I don't think a lot of people are aware of is that the author and the illustrators don't come in as a pair. What happens is that the author sells the story to the publisher. Publisher looks for an illustrator. So there's another part of that. So he sold the the story to the publisher, worked on the manuscript for like, uh, if if I recall, he told me it was like two or three years. Okay. And, And then they paired him up with a bunch of illustrators and he didn't like any of the illustrators. He did some of his own research. And so smart he man. Found me. Yeah, he found me and he he slid into my DMs on Instagram. There's a phrase we can only dream of. And he was just like, he was just like, yeah, big fan of your work. Wondering if you wanted to hop on the on, you know, hop on a phone and chat about a uh, chat about this manuscript that I sold to Macmillan. And I looked and I was just like, is this some kind of a joke? And then I saw the blue check mark and I said, Oh my god, it's really him, right? Did you like have a little bit of a celebratory? <laughs> yeah, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I gotta, I better, yeah. And, and so I said, I said, yeah, sure, no, I, I'd be, I'd be happy to, right? And then his assistant reached out and said, oh, here's the Zoom link that to to chat with him. And I was like, oh, oh, we're gonna look at each other in the eyes, right? And so I was like, I better go do some sit-ups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put then, a filter on, yeah, right, 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 right. And then I, and then I came on, and and he came on, and I was like, oh, fuck, fuck you're gorgeous, right? <laughs> And you're killing me. It was we talked for two hours. Didn't even talk about the book. We were just getting to know each other. He just wanted to shoot the shit with me and just kind of, yeah. you know, just to be clear, any other any other author, if they pulled that, like the publisher would say, yeah, yeah, you know, eat it. You know, like you're you're not. That's not how we do things. But you know, if you're Jake Gyllenhaal and you say, "Well, I would like to have Dan Santana on this," the publisher will say, oh, "Yeah." Okay. So I feel like maybe we should separate that. So, like, so normally, yes. Yeah, so you you're a writer, you sell the book, and then you're assigned illustrator. Yeah. You're so assigned those, an illustrator. So for those um, listening who want to go that route, that's that's the normal. Right, that's the right. normal. Sometimes you know, sometimes an author will come in with a personal letter saying, uh, "Some of my dream people would be in yeah. Santana." or Oliver Jeffers or somebody, you know. Sure. And, and what if you came, can you come as a pairing? Like, I really want. You can. This. Yeah, yeah, okay. you can. So, yeah. But, you know, like traditionally it is that the publisher uh, acquires yeah. the manuscript, finds the illustrator. And, and typically what ends up happening is um, they they instruct the author to not talk to the illustrator. You don't want to scramble their imagination with like other feedback. You don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, right? You let the illustrator do their job. Sometimes, sometimes an author is not pleased with with what they get, but more often than not, more often than not, they don't have any understanding of graphic design and, and, and you know, and typography. And, and, and I would imagine a lot of people like me, I don't really know what I like until I see it because I'm not visual. 
So then when I'm presented with something, then I can be like, oh, that's that's exactly what I can. Sure, 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 sure. So, you know, I think, I, like I said, I've been in this business for a long time. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a pretty respectable track record. As time goes on, I think you realize that you, you start getting a peek at the really good manuscripts, you know, like, yeah. you know, like uh, I was given the honor of illustrating the 90th anniversary of The Little Engine That Could, you know, tremendous honor, you know, and so yeah. I, I would be a fool not to do a project yeah. like that. So with the illustrations for The Secret Society of Aunts and Uncles, did did talking to Jake and Greta, in like, how, I just want to know how you then got those ideas of like how you wanted Mo and the other characters to look like. Like, where does that come from? Does do you get influenced at all by by those conversations and story? Yeah. I mean, okay. working with Jake was it, it was a very unconventional process because the manuscript still needed a lot of work because, as I said before, traditionally picture books are about thirty two to forty pages and the word count is typically, you know, you're looking at like, you're looking at like, oh, maybe 1500 words or less. Mm-hmm. And Jake, Jake didn't understand the format of picture books. And he submitted something that was 63 pages. And when I was speaking to their editor, who who actually knew, you know, she said, that's, that's us trimming it down. It used to be like 160 pages, we got it down to 63. You know, and then Jake, here's the great thing about Jake is that he, he is open and honest and willing to admit his faults. And he says, I don't know how, I understand story. I don't know how to do a picture book. Right. And he just gave it to me. And like, this was a very, it, it, it said a lot because, you know, it was a very precious story to him. And he said, please, he just gave it to me and without any strings attached, please just do whatever, show me how to make it better. Yeah. But isn't that a beautiful so testament I, to your work too, for someone to be like, right. I'm trusting you to to shape this with my baby really and be like yeah absolutely absolutely and so I said okay give me two weeks I'm going to you know I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pair up some of the text with illustrations maybe cut out what we don't need mm-hmm. two weeks later I gave him a manuscript with drawings that uh, I think it was around 46 pages which I could we could the publisher could still get away with right mm-hmm. and I show it to Jake and the first things out of his mouth was oh my God, I've been writing too much. And I, I, I was shocked. I was like, yeah, 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 totally. Like, totally. Yeah. And he says, yeah. I don't need this scene. I don't need this line. We so the visual helped him to. The, to, the visuals yeah. helped him tremendously. Yeah. And we edited it down to 36 pages. Now I typically make 40 page picture books. Mm-hmm. And so that gave us two extra spreads to build, you know, emotion into the story, you know, just like these nice quiet moments here and there. Sure. And he got so excited. He got so excited. He was working on what was he working on? He was he was on the set of the Covenant. He was making the Covenant while while this book was being made. And then he was also in the Dominican Republic shooting for uh, there's his next movie is Roadhouse, the remake yep. of Roadhouse. Oh yeah. And so he would be Zoom calling me from the Dominican Republic, and we would be we would get on Zoom two, sometimes three times a week at like two hours at a time, just moving spreads around on the computer, talking about scenes. Cause so I kind of ended up being three things. I kind of ended up being the illustrator, editor and art director all at once. Yeah. And it was That's just great. Yeah. me, it was just me, Jake and Greta working yeah. on this project. And I really got, I really got to know the guy and it was, you know, and he was, he was fantastic. I don't care what all the Swifties say. I think he's a dream. I think he's fantastic. You know? I think he's a dream boat. Like, yeah. we'll be, we'll be, yeah. refer- I have no shame in referencing it. But, um, I really want to bring the word dream boat back. I'm really trying to like, <laughs> I'm like, he's a bit of a dream boat. It's really interesting though, because uh, in a way, like in here, see people love hearing that stuff because you're like, you don't know what people are really like. But I think when you have any type of creative partnership, you really need people who are open because it's very easy to get defensive right like it's your own work you're being critiqued a lot so it really um it really says a lot about people when they can have that it's a great trait to have of people i won't ask you any more jake questions we'll just we'll cap it (laughs) i i just i really do think that's a great book and i'm i'm really proud that you guys did it and i'm i'm really glad it's sparking conversations like even in australia i know that kind of sounds weird because i was like when it came out i was like oh probably won't even be released in Australia for because we get everything delayed. Oh, anyway. So, but it is, it is out. You can get it at like Booktopia, which is like my favourite like bookstore. So it is, it is out for people listening. 
So if they want to look at it. What have you got in the pipeline? Like what are you working on at the moment? Gotcha. So I just I just released a book with <laughs> I gosh, it's such name dropping. I just released a book with another celebrity, Henry Winkler, who was Fonzie from Happy Days. Yes. This might be and, your new thing, the celebrity illustration. Yeah, it probably isn't out, it probably isn't out where you are yet, but it just came out. It came out, boy, what I went on tour with Henry Oh, two weeks ago, and you want to talk about the nicest man ever, uh, Henry Winkler. It's like watching one of the Beatles. Like I remember, we were yeah. at the airport one time. You couldn't walk. You couldn't walk ten or fifteen yards without someone like just smiling yeah. or wanting to like take a photo with him. And he nice. he was such a sweetheart. And you know, he was yeah. He he's he's really great. And it's this great story called Detective Duck. Do you have Stephen Colbert out there? Well, yeah, we get to watch it on like cable shows. Okay, yeah, yeah. he was on he was on Stephen Colbert last night. Yeah. Because uh, today is the release of his memoir. He he came out with a memoir. Yeah. Uh, but he also he also brought Detective Duck on the show. He's just passionate. He's passionate about children's publishing. Now the funny thing is, and you know, here we are. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna cross storylines because I love it. When Henry found out that I was working with Jake, he yeah. texted me. He said he said I've known Jake ever since he was six years old. He grew up with my son. He used to sleep over at our house. And I was just like, what, what is this world that I'm in now? Did he, like, did Henry slide on in? So, so the funny thing about Henry was that he, he was someone who was a fan of mine for a number of years. And he co-authors with a friend of mine who started this organization called the, um, the Society of Children's Book Authors and Illustrators, the SCBWI.org. Okay. Yeah. And so Henry was someone who was, who was actually a fan of mine for like, I want to say like 10, 12 years. And there were two previous other times where he was hoping I could illustrate his projects, but I was just too busy. And then this third one, Detective Duck, came on, on you know, into my lap, and I and I and I accepted. And so, I love you that know, you can say I turned him down, <laughs> like you know, you turned him. Uh, yeah, break. yeah, that was crazy. And so, right. we just and claim so, it. Yeah, just working, claim with, it. yeah, working with working with Henry's fantastic. And again, it's another one of those cases where you know you've got the celebrity that says. I'd like Dan Santat, which doesn't typically. But it's going to start happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's doing. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, so it's been, it's been great. You know, it's been great uh, working with Henry. So that's one thing that I, that I, that just came out. Um, I had a memoir that came out called the first time for everything, which uh, actually it's a finalist for the national book award here in the United States. It's so Um, great. It's so it's great. A, it's a banquet. There's a banquet that I have to go to in a in a, a banquet. My goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> there's five finalists. There's five finalists, and then um and then you know we're at this big we're in this big event place, and we you know we have to sit there and be like the nominees are and the winner is and so gosh you know I I, I it's hope exciting. I mean banquet. I'm I, yeah. you know I I consider myself very fortunate for you know what I have. So I'm just I'm just happy to be a finalist. It's always uh, nice to, it's always nice to win awards. Like it's always, yeah, it's yeah. always nice so that, for someone to so recognize something. Um, gosh, there's another wonderful author. Um, you, you're probably familiar with like Elephant and Piggy books or Don't Let the Pigeon Ride the Bus. Yes. Uh, yeah, Mo Willems. He's a good friend of mine. He and I are working on a book together uh, called Lefty, uh, and that yeah, and that's a story about yeah, that's a story the left-handed about, one know, yeah. Yeah, sticks. You know the stigma of being left-handed over over time. Um, I've got I've got some graphic novels of my own that I'm working on. Uh, I did a graphic novel ten years ago called Sidekicks, and I'm finally doing two yeah. more of those. Uh, I had this. Yeah, I had this other great. I just sold another series called uh, Here Comes Sashimi, which is about a mer boy, which is cool. you know typically a mermaid is human human upper half and then fish yeah. lower half. Sashimi is a fish head but a human boy body <laughs> and you know yeah. and he and and he comes he comes to this little town called barnacle bay and barnacle bay has like this 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 like uh this legend kind of like the creature from the back the black lagoon yeah and he goes to barnacle bay thinking that the creature might be his father and so oh. you know he moves into town somehow gets enrolled into elementary school gets yeah. you know enamored with life in the human world and you know he's he pretty much is like i guess the best way to describe it is um he is he is every person's id you know he just kind of does whatever he pleases and and things just seem to work out for him because of his like happy 
easygoing yeah. spirit. So there's that. And then I've got, oh, I'm doing, oh my gosh, I'm really excited about this one. I'm, I'm doing, um, I'm doing a Marvel picture book. Shot. And so this oh. one's actually, this is, yeah, this was actually, this was actually very, very, I'm very excited about this one because they, they asked for what ideas I had. And oh, so that's I'm great. Writing, yeah. I'm writing a story called Me Hulk. And the whole premise is that the Hulk gets upset at Bruce Banner because Bruce Banner is starting to get oh. angry for the wrong reasons. So right. the Hulk will turn into the Hulk and then he'll realize he's in a fast food restaurant. And the only reason why Bruce Banner was mad was because he like the fries were cold or something. Yeah. Banner, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. And so Hulk gets a crayon and some, and, and some paper. And then he starts writing letters to Bruce Banner and he keeps it and he tucks it into his purple pant pocket. Yeah. And then, when when the Hulk turns back into Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner can pulls out it. letter and he reads this letter from the Hulk, and the Hulk's letter basically is uh, me Hulk kind of upset at some of the reasons why you're mad, you know. And yeah. and there's this exchange like Bruce Banner writes a letter says, well, how dare you? Like I I have yeah. feelings and I should be allowed to feel those feelings, right? Yeah. And the letter they just correspond one you know back and forth with yeah. these purple pants and these letters back and forth about why it's okay to be angry but why it's also sometimes we need to hurtful. contain it yeah angry for the wrong reasons right yeah and so exactly and then i've got like i've got like just a few projects like on the go <laughs> i just wanted to thank you so so much i just that was, was really pleasure. really enjoyable and i really hope that helps a lot of people and if not some fascinating tales in there if you're just a lover of you know arts and comics and that stan lee yeah. story i'm going to google that picture that's what i'm going to do so thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's been a tremendous pleasure.